0: Thanks for pressing play, and welcome to Christopher Lockhead, Fall Your Different, and we are the Real Dialogue Podcast, or some people call us an oddcast, for business leaders, marketers, and category designers with a different mind. Today we have a very extraordinary episode. Do you ever find yourself in a conversation that is so radically different, so powerfully inspiring, that it touches you both emotionally and intellectually? Well, that's what you're about to experience. And you're also going to hear what commitment to make a difference sounds like and maybe be inspired to do the same. Now, entrepreneurs make a massive, incalculable difference to every aspect of our lives. Every dimension of how we live, work, and play in some way has uh, been changed for the better, for the different by a group of entrepreneurs. And it turns out in times of war, entrepreneurs throughout history have answered the call to serve their countries. Well, today on this very special Real Dialogue, we have three extraordinary startup founders. Holy shit, these people are incredible. Each of them is designing a new category of technology that is making a difference for the people of Ukraine and beyond. First is Dennis Gurak, whose company, Atom, is a pioneering 3D bioprinting company with a primary focus on, you ready for this? 3D printing of bones. Imagine a day where technology on the front line can be used by medical professionals to print new bones for wounded soldiers. Also, we have Irina Saviska. CEO and co-founder of Bank of Memories. And it turns out this happens in normal life, but it's um, made acute in times of war where the memories and assets of a family can be lost. Irina and her team are a blockchain startup focused on families and allowing them to protect the memories of all of their loved ones and key documents and assets so that they can pass them on to new generations. And we also have Dr. Amar Singh. He's the founder and CEO of Skylark Labs, and they are designing an extraordinary new category of next generation AI powered security products that, for example, can detect and save people from drone attacks and a whole range of threats. Now, I'm sure that the war in Ukraine breaks your heart as it does mine. This conversation will leave you educated, inspired, and maybe even activated to make a difference in the world. These three entrepreneurs and category designers prove the axiom, everything is the way that it is, because somebody changed the way that it was, and they are changing the way that it is. Now, speaking of category designers, they are the people who change the future, who create different futures, who create new categories of opportunity. and. At Category Pirates, we just launched the world's first free category design training course. So if you want to learn how to design your future, go to CategoryPirates.com and sign up today for the free category design accelerator training at CategoryPirates.com so that you too can start learning how to design the future of your choosing. Now, hey ho, let's go. Well, Irina, Dennis, and Amar, it is wonderful to see you. And uh, I have very much been looking forward to our conversation. So thank you and welcome.
1: Thank you very much for having us. Thank you. Thank you
0: for having us. It's our our pleasure. Now, Irina, I understand that you are in the Ukraine right now. Is that correct?
2: Yes, I'm in Kiev region.
0: You are in Kiev. And uh, maybe give us a, a, a snapshot of what life is like right now, Uh, in Kyiv?
2: Well, just yesterday, uh, Russia fired 70 rockets um, into Ukraine and uh, it was quite dangerous yesterday, so we were all sitting uh, between two walls. This is uh, known as the best place uh, to hide from rockets if it hits the house. Well, it sounds very crazy um, because we are in 21st century, but still um, even now, I'm uh, talking to you using generator. So that means we don't have electricity, water, uh, or whatever um, kind of conveniences now. But every four hours, our government switched off and on electricity so that it can stabilize um, electricity flow in the country.
0: And are you still having to do things like turn off all the lights at night so that it is less obvious uh, who is where and so forth?
2: Uh, well, here, no, but uh, because we are in Kiev, uh, here, uh, the only danger that can come is coming from the air. Uh, yeah. So there are no other people who are just uh, going around and trying to rob the house. Uh, but other regions uh, where Russians are close, uh, it's very obvious and simple. So they have to switch off the lights so that people don't know who is in the house and whether someone is in the house.
0: And and tell me more about that scenario that you're describing, if you could.
2: Um, Well, so in Kiev, we have a lot uh, um, of uh, uh, people who protect uh, Kiev and the region, um, but there are less protected areas and uh, robbers know it. They can be Russians or they can be a uh, low-level society in Ukraine Very poor people who are trying to find something to steal and then sell. It's a bit dangerous because these people usually have weapons. Now in Ukraine, uh, there's a lot of weapons and nobody can control it because we have war here. And um, it happened before, before it was cold uh, that Russians were sending to us these um, uh, drones. Drones uh, produced by Iran. And that was uh, also dangerous. That's why usually we have a uh, weapon at home now during war. And it was allowed to shoot the dr- drone if you see it. So you don't need to be the government or army to shoot down the drone.
0: If I'm Ukrainian, I'm living there right now. Um, is there a likelihood that I have a rifle of some kind? Yeah. Yeah, uh, an AR or an AK-47 or something along those lines.
2: Yeah, I mean, even we have it.
0: You do? And so regular citizens, if they hear that drone sound, uh, are encouraged by the Ukrainian government to go outside, uh, take their firearm and try to shoot that drone down?
2: Yeah, otherwise it can destroy the whole block of the building. Right. But now now I I should say that now Iranian drones uh, are not uh, capable to fly because of weather conditions. It was a very big mistake to buy some kind of weapon from the country where you have never seen snow. So now it (laughs) means uh, the material of drones, they are just not capable to uh, handle the conditions. It's like minus six degrees Celsius now.
3: Uh yeah so the Iranian drones it seems like they ran out uh so the first batch that they supplied they completely used it and because of uh some geopolitics and uh I think Ir- Iran is not going to supply them as fast and is trying to you know dodge the uh uh
0: kind of the uh, supply issue uh, of drones to I see to Russia Where are you in the world right now Dennis
3: Uh I'm in New York yeah, but I'm also, but uh, mentally I'm in Ukraine. Uh, it's really strange how um, you feel the connection, and it's like a never ending day, you know, um, since February 24th for me. And so phys- I, I feel like, you know, physically that I'm there, strangely enough.
0: And is it, uh, tell me what it's like to be away from your family in New York, away from your friends? that are in Ukraine as you're trying to do tr- what you're trying to do with your business?
3: Well, I've lived here for some time already. Um, I live in the U S for a bit more than two years, but yeah, since the war started, it was definitely harder. You feel this, uh, you have most of the Ukrainians that I know who live here have this guilt complex that they're not there, that they cannot uh, support. Um, and yeah, that's probably what we're trying to fight with, you know, because in, in, obviously, we're not, it's, <laughs> we're not guilty that we're not there. But, uh, you know, we're, the, the point here is to try to convert this guilt into action and not feel it, you know, uh, not feel depressed about it, but just to act yes. and try to do everything what's possible to do from here.
0: Yes. And uh, I know you've been trying to do a lot. Can you kind of maybe pop the hood and share a little bit about what you have been trying to do um, since the war started?
3: Sure. So I used to work for Ukrainian government and defense industry. And for me, it's actually the second time when the war starts. So in 2014, um, I witnessed, you know, the first Russian invasion in the end of August 2014. and because of my career you know work there i started helping with some diplomacy and uh, you know weapon supplies and just uh, convincing people in dc and other countries uh, that i knew to start supplying weapons of course my contribution is very small but uh, I, i think um I've been, uh, you know, I, I immediately when the war started on February 24th, I went to DC to our embassy and said that I'm going to volunteer for them because uh, I just had this, you know, experience and connections to kickstart the process of weapon supply faster. Um, yeah, so that's one thing. Was also involved in various humanitarian issues and projects. I'm now helping with a documentary, for instance, on um, war crimes um, that hopefully will stream on one of the biggest uh, U.S. stream uh, networks, or how do you call them correctly? Uh, stream companies, streaming companies. Mm, so yeah, that kind of those kinds of things. And my startup is actually involved in helping wounded soldiers. So basically, yeah, for me it's like. Uh, you, you know, war, 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 we call it work, work, war balance. Yeah, <laughs> that that's what it is for me.
0: <laughs> what a fucked up thing for a young entrepreneur like yourself to have to be thinking about.
3: I do know. Actually, it, you know, gives you experience, makes you stronger. I mean, you have to try to, you know, switch any situation from a problem to an opportunity, uh, you know. Otherwise, yes. yeah. Otherwise, you can you, know, you can just sit at at home on the couch
0: and do nothing. Yes, and for many of us, that's not an option now, is it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <laughs> for sure. Now, Amar, where, where are you right now?
1: Yeah. Uh, I'm based in New York as well, Chris.
0: Excellent. And right now, there are no bombs going off or drones flying with horrible things in in New York, are there?
1: <laughs> no, no. Fortunately, everything is good over here, but uh, most of the stuff which we do is with, well, a lot of it is with drones. And the idea where we have been trying to uh, work on and move forward is how drones, which are uh, on the Ukrainian side, could potentially help uh, target uh objects of interest, military columns from the Russian side, who potentially might be marching on the cities to cause harm, so that they can mount the offensive uh, more accurately. And even uh, as uh, they mentioned looking up uh, and shooting at the drones, Normally they fly at a very large height, so it's really hard to flag them, especially if they're coming in the night, you're sleeping. So we have several systems which allow you to look top down and bottom up so that you have an idea of if there's a rogue drone in the airspace, so that you have a better chance of hitting it. So a lot of the machinery which we have been building at our company has been to power countries like Ukraine, so that they can mount a better offensive.
0: Fantastic. And what was the original mission, Amar, of your startup?
1: So when I started the company, uh, the idea was to build technology which can strengthen national security of countries, but also penetrate downs to to people in general so that it changes the fabric of uh, how security is done in a country. So the first project we did focused on rescuing children from brothels in India. And the idea was these children are kidnapped from weaker sections of society when they're aged 10, 11. And they moved across the country, moved through brothels where they are made to do prostitution when they're age 18. And their parents who come from economically very bad backgrounds have maybe taken a picture of their child once in their lifetime. So, we built AI which allowed nonprofits to go to brothels and collect evidence in real time that a child which is being made due to do prostitution is a child which was kidnapped from a certain part of India. And then they would use this evidence, take it to the police, and raid the brothels in time so that they can be rescued and the profit keepers didn't have a chance to move them to a different problem. And that's how the company started and that was the first project we did. And after that, we have done projects in Nigeria, uh, in Greece where it is focused on reuniting refugee families which has been separated from each other and they don't know who's here so they would use face recognition to recognize, oh, this child potentially belongs to these parents using kinship recognition and several projects of that sort. And that's how we started. And now we build apparatus for defense organizations, especially U.S. government. A lot of the work that we do is with the Indian government, where we provide AI to make any kind of sensor sophisticated enough so that they can predict threats which are coming rather than responding to threats when they're already there. And that is the kind of technology which can be used by countries like Ukraine to know beforehand at long distances there's a drone which is approaching so that they're better prepared to shoot it down rather than when it's already on top of you. And at that point, it's throwing bombs.
0: So you have technology that will identify a drone is coming essentially an early warning system for um attack drones is that how I should think about it Amar yeah yeah and then on the AI side this is very fascinating you can take what might not be a very good photo of a child yeah uh, what might not be a very recent photo of a child yeah and uh you scan that photo and use AI to potentially identify that person now as a young adult who has been kidnapped and trafficked is that is that correct yeah
1: yeah so these children when they made to the prostitution the non we work with they would go to sell makeup to these girls and they would attach a camera to their shirt and when they would put the makeup on the floor these girls would gather and then this little tiny camera on the shirt would take the video stream it back to servers so that you can tell in real time this is the girl which potentially matches to this picture and then they would quickly gather that evidence and report to the police because and that's what we do first of all and it's very important because the brothel keepers regularly move these girls from brothel to brothel so even if you get to know which they were doing manually this matching would take a lot longer by the time the girls aren't there
0: yes how horrible and how wonderful that uh you know it's I, I I'm biased. Yeah. Some call me an entrepreneurial bigot. But and it's and it's not to say there isn't a role for government and NGOs and other various organizations around the development of new categories of technology. Of course there is, they're critical. And it is clear to me. That many of the breakthroughs in our world, and unfortunately, I've had a front row seat to some of this around breakthroughs of new categories of technology around law enforcement and criminal investigation. The reality is entrepreneurs like you are making a gigantic difference by applying advanced technology to law enforcement today. Yeah. And uh, I applaud you tremendously for that. And I want you to know, I, I, as somebody who's the victim of horrible crime and our family is, God bless you for that. Thank you.
1: No, thanks, Chris. I, I feel like uh, we have so much data. We have, we try to put cameras on the airports, cameras everywhere. There are cameras in Ukraine, which are gathering data all the time. But the data is only as good as the people who are processing them manually or the systems which are processing them. And unfortunately, we have so much data and different types of data these days that it's very hard to cope up with the influx of information. And that's also like very interesting for us because our specialization is processing threats proactively, but also threats we know and threats we don't know. For example, in the Ukrainian airspace, they might have identified uh, several types of drones which might be coming, but then there can be new types of drones. Or let's say someone decided to come up with new ways to drop bombs. Those are aerial objects which we don't know about. So the idea is how do you recognize threats you know and new threats that you don't know about? And how does the AI self-adapt to self-identify self-label, and self-learn so that in the future, we can recognize these threats. So that, that's very interesting as to how technology can be used at the grassroots to really help people who don't understand anything about AI, and even at the very high levels of government where this can obviously make a big difference.
0: Yes, fascinating. Thank you. Now, Irina, let, uh, let's talk a little bit about, um, you're an entrepreneur.
2: Yes, yes. Uh, I, I didn't mention in the beginning what I'm building and what we're doing, but this is also crucial, especially during wartime. Uh, what we do is uh, we are building an ecosystem for families to keep their important data, uh, family records, memories, and assets on blockchain so that it's uh, forever and it's available even for our next generations. And our special projects are related to, um, saving memories about heroes who died during war, uh, as well as cities, the whole cities, like city of Mariupol that was completely destroyed. Uh, we were digitizing with USAID, there's a huge organization that is uh, doing a lot for culture, uh, for preservation of important art pieces and all that things. So we were doing a lot of social projects in that direction. Um, but our main thing and why we started, uh, is because I lost a family member and with her, I lost a lot of records. I, I couldn't imagine how much I could lose. And I found out that actually people lose like 4 million files a day and almost all of them are impossible to recover. And all of us, I'm sure lost something before. So that's why we are building a sophisticated system of blockchain where nothing will be lost.
0: It's so incredible. And it's such a powerful insider, arena. I mean, simple things like birth certificates, right. And, and, and basic records. Um, many of us are products of people who survived world war II, as am I, my grandfather fought for his majesty's Navy during the war. And to your point, um, it can be difficult, even with things like 23andMe and so forth. I mean, you can see your genetic background, but, you know, you can't find a lot of things out about your family because those records were destroyed in the war. And then beyond that are the, the other things you're talking about, which are incredible, which are the family stories and histories and photographs and so forth, which, of course, today, many, if not all, originate as digital assets in the, in the first place, Yes.
2: Yes yeah, so the big difference um between what exists now and what we build is that uh usually data belongs to the company so you sign terms and conditions and privacy policy where it's clearly stated that your data belongs to the company and if they want to block you they will block you will not retrieve your data uh so what we build is called decentralized way of storing data that means This data does not belong to me as a company. That belongs to you and to several servers that keeps it encrypted and forever. And you pay it once and you pay exactly for what you store. You don't pay 2 terabytes or 200 gigabytes, but you actually use like 20 gigabytes. So you actually pay for what you store for like 10 years, 20 years ahead. And this will be available for your kids to see
0: You know, it's interesting, uh, I'm sure you've heard of this category uh, that has emerged over the last handful of years of quote-unquote life historians, people who generally meet with older folks in a family and help memorialize uh, grandma's memories um, so that they live forever in this regard. And this seems to be a very powerful human need to be able to capture This information, particularly from our older loved ones, so that when we sit down with our children and our grandchildren, and if we're lucky, maybe our great-grandchildren, we can say, well, let me tell you about your (laughs) great-great-great-grandmother or things along those lines. Um, We as human beings have a huge need to feel that connection to our heritage.
2: Yeah, I, I also can see that this is just maybe five percent of the population around the world. Um, uh, other people probably don't feel that strong need to be connected to generations, but they have other needs. They they want to see something about their own life. They want to remind themselves about some great moments. So what we want to do is to just bridge different interests of different generations and make it just so simple uh, to do, even. Uh, me, as a young lady, I can send a message to my uh, grandchild or my child who will turn 18. It's it's called time capsule. This is a game. This is just, you know, but it would be so cool to receive uh, this kind of time capsule from, imagine, like from my grandma now, in her age then. It's, it's really, it's really great. I know it's just, you know, it's just uh, a feature that can be fun, but a big mission is just to utilize blockchain as technology to make it possible to keep only essence of the life without all that outside noise. I, I study uh, brain and how people memorize because we are building this product. So it must be perfect. It must make sense. Um, so what I found out is that brain now uh, is overloaded. It's, uh, it needs to process 30 gigabytes of data per day Uh, and it's like 350% more than 20 years ago. So that means our brain is so tired and we actually don't need all that information in social media from some random people and all that advertising. So what I want to do with my product is to focus people on what really matters without any of that outside noise.
0: It's fantastic. And you're going to make me cry. Uh (laughs) About 15 years ago, Irina, a, a friend of mine, wonderful woman, um, was giving birth and and knew she was dying. And she gave birth to her baby, a beautiful little girl. And um, what she did at the time, because you didn't exist and the Internet was nowhere near what it is today and so forth. She actually hired a professional journalist who was uh, this kind of a life historian. And they did exactly this, and they created videos for her on her daughter's you know certain birthday, or on the event of her daughter's marriage, or on the event of her daughter's graduation from high school or college, or you know life moments that um, of course you'd want to be there for, that she knew that she would not be there for. And that's an incredible thing to be able to provide on a platform. So thank you for that. Now, for all of you, I'm very curious. Um, We know those of us who live in the technology startup world, um, we understand, I think, generally the value that uh, startups can create in peacetime. However, it's very different to think about the role of entrepreneurs in making a difference in wartime and just your ability to operate during wartime and so i'd be curious what what thoughts you have about what it's been like to operate as entrepreneurs trying to uh be in the ukraine and or serve the ukraine
2: well maybe i can start because i'm now physically here and uh, i am raising money uh so i heard already a lot of hesitation from investors because they're like uh, they're not saying it directly but They're asking, okay, you have four co-founders. Where are those people? Are they all in Ukraine? I say, yes. And they say, is it dangerous there? I mean, uh, they mean if one of us will be killed or something, uh, they would invest money. And then it means uh, they lose their investment or the company is not going to develop as it planned to do. So I definitely see... So we are in Web3 space, uh, in blockchain space. And because of some recent scandals with FTX, um, uh, this exchange and everything. So this is the one point why investors are a little, they hesitate to invest now. And it's a crypto winter now. So they are waiting for best times. And second reason is because we are in Ukraine. So my best choice would be to go uh, to move from Ukraine and to uh, help other team members to move out somewhere to Poland or uh, to the US, uh, just so that investor feels safe. But operationally, is quite tough when we don't have light and electricity. Not all of us are so lucky as I am, because I have a private house and a generator. So basically, uh, as long as I have gas, I, I have electricity and water and everything. But my team members, not of uh, not all of them have it, and it's difficult sometimes to connect to talk. Uh, we have to postpone our meetings, uh, but yeah, we can do shifts. We we do some work at night. Uh, we do review code when we have light. It's okay. Uh, just it's a little bit weird for investors to hear, like, "Are you are you serious? You want to raise money with in these conditions?" Like. So they're really curious how we're going to do it. But uh, I would not announce it now, but I I did get some funding from a Danish uh, multimillionaire, and he doesn't care that it's war in Ukraine now. He said, like, you do cool products, and you guys in Ukraine. You didn't escape. Uh, So we do a lot of volunteering, and he supported us at this uh, very difficult time
0: so you found a an angel investor who is an angel yeah fascinating and and so that has provided enough for you to continue to build out um your platform
2: it's enough for the whole winter and probably the
0: spring yeah yeah what what about uh you two gentlemen of course you're not there but but you're doing business there you have friends and family there um, how does it look from your side in terms of what what it's like to be building a startup in these uh, conditions?
3: We're facing the same challenges as Irina. Um, although I'm not in Ukraine, our engineering team is in Ukraine, seven people in Odessa. So until recent, Odessa wasn't hit massively, even unlike Kiev, it probably was the safest out of big cities in Ukraine. Uh, but for instance yesterday's attack cut them out completely so i wasn't able to get in touch with uh, just you know very short whatsapp messages uh, because there's almost like a total blackout now but um, it's going to get better and people don't have any other choice except to continue working Um, so of course we have seen the same attitude from investors but in our case Probably, um, we're, well, of course, it's nice to have angels who are angels. Uh, and we did have some guys like that as well, uh, mostly from our previous angel investors who we understood that, uh, you know, it makes sense to support the company uh, uh, while the war is going on. But uh, for us, it actually presented sort of an opportunity to leapfrog and Bring the product to the market faster. So, what we're doing, we're printing bones on 3D printers, organic bone implants. But, and we have proprietary technology materials and printers, but our ultimate product is going to be um, a point of care system to print human tissues on site in hospitals. So, imagine like a, a room in hospitals where 3D printers are installed and anything that's needed is printed there. Well, uh, technology allows now to print. Even organs, and the main limitations are actually uh, the regulatory uh, side and the quality management system side, and the lack of expertise in hospitals to embed it. Apart from, um, you know, uh, expense, uh, the cost of of uh, current solutions on the market. So, because of Ukrainian engineering component, we were able to solve all those things and cut costs down substantially. So what we're looking to do now is we're going to put printers on site in a hospital in western Ukraine. um, And we'll be able to provide very sophisticated, very good quality care for wounded soldiers. Because of the blasts, um, um, lower extremity is damaged massively. And there is a lot of pieces uh, of, of metal that need to be removed and bone voids that need to be filled. So our technology is really a perfect match for this. And literally, there is no one in Ukraine who could do it. Of course, as a startup, we cannot do it for free. But we so long story short, war brought us the first client. OK, so um, um, and that will accelerate our entrance to the market. So in that from that point of view, it was a bit easier. You know, it's a bit easier for us to talk with investors and they do get, you know, that this actually accelerates the uh, entrance to the market for something as sophisticated as what, as what we do. But of course, yeah, there is um, there are same challenges. People usually are not inclined to invest in, in war zones, but uh, if you look at this from another angle, um, Ukraine actually is not a drain of money. You know, It's not draining money. It's actually presented an opportunity. Whether you look at uh you know even weapon supplies from the west or the future rebuild projects that will be there Um, it's going to be a massive business opportunity for everyone who goes in early um same applies to the startup ecosystem um ukrainian startups and it sector has been booming for the last Five ten years, and even during the war, it grew. So, IT experts during the war grew around twenty percent. There are different estimates, but still, and Ukrainian startups are continuing to raise money, and it's just ama- it's just amazing, you know, uh, how people are able to do that, and that actually, people who get it, investors who get it, uh, they are going in early because they understand that you know, if founders are able to. Uh, cope with such challenges and continue business during such times and not only founders but teams in general if they're able to continue working then they're probably doing something at least you know good probably very good and definitely something very important you know so yeah, that's kind of our motivation. There, it's you know, it's such a great point. I mean, despite of everything,
0: you know, the challenge for a long time in Silicon Valley is well, you know, if you don't have the right gourmet coffee in the cafeteria, um, you're not going to be able to attract the right people. And these were sort of the challenges. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a very different challenge. Yeah, I want to go back, Dennis, to a little bit uh, if you could about your technology. The vision mm-hmm. here is. Mm-hmm. Uh, you have a proprietary piece of hardware, yes. That is your printer.
3: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Obviously, you have software, yes. proprietary software that you've created. Yes,
3: uh, software is not proprietary. We're using various combinations of off-the-shelf software, but it's not a major. But you've
0: assembled line. it in a particular way. Yes, mm-hmm. yes. And I was—I yeah. assume yeah, you've yeah. added capabilities and done some configurating and done some integrating and et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yep. But the net of the complete offering that you have means that if a soldier is injured uh, suffering horrible um, damage to their lower body in the example that you mm-hmm. gave, maybe they're gonna lose a leg, maybe they're going to lose a uh, a part of a leg uh, how et cetera et cetera in this scenario, doctors and medical professionals in a hospital um, that are that are caring for that soldier can use your technology to, quote-unquote, print bones, custom bones, for uh, helping to heal that soldier?
3: Correct. So the essence of materials that we're using, it's called regenerative medicine. So materials um, integrate with the body and being dissolved over time and the bone grows, the bone replaces the materials that we implant. Um, we haven't reinvented the wheel here. We just repacked materials that have been in existence and have been used in orthopedics for quite some time. It's just, uh, well, there are various reasons why they haven't gotten you know to the stage where we have gotten, but uh, yeah. That, that's what we're going to do, and that's basically kind of the future of various surgeries, not only orthopedic surgery. So um, for last two to three years, it's been the most hype subject in the uh, various healthcare circles, especially after COVID exposed supply chain vulnerabilities in healthcare system, especially in the U.S. Uh, people started thinking how the capability – uh, meaning medical devices personalized uh active uh bioactive medical devices could be produced on site in hospitals
0: and how widely is your technology deployed now
3: well our technology will be deployed in ukraine first yes uh there is only two other uh similar systems in the world one in new york um uh, four titanium implants for bones and one in uh, Sweden for non-organic polymer implants. What we're going to do is kind of the next level. We're going to do these bioactive quasi-organic material in Ukraine. So it's going to be the third case worldwide when that's going to happen.
0: Fantastic. What What about you, Amar? Tell me a little bit about what it's been like trying to operate um, during wartime, trying to serve trying to serve the Ukraine with your technology?
1: I think it has been challenging. So I think for us, fortunately, all of our teams don't sit in the Ukraine. We have three officers, around 60 people in India. We have our people in the U.S., but then we also had several Uh, companies we were collaborating with in Ukraine as well as civil engineers. So it was challenging because a lot of them are very good and we had to find alternatives for them. Uh, And that way it hasn't been as challenging for us as has been for other people. But nonetheless, the kind of resources which we were using uh, both uh, compute-wise as well as man-made they out of the blue overnight went away there were a lot of uh, training which we did with the people and they understood our tech stack well uh, which we had to like retrain people from scratch but I think that way it was quite challenging but I think regardless uh, what I've, I've been like really uh, happy with has been the the speed at which uh, everything has been bouncing back and people were offline for a month, month and a half and they had to like move across Poland and like other places. Uh, but uh, seems like nothing much has changed from their side and they are like as enthusiastic as they were to take over the world as they were before, which is great. And war or not, the spirit hasn't changed Yeah.
0: Yes, that's fantastic to hear. Now, I'm curious, as the three of you think forward, uh, of course, none of us know how this is going to play out and how this is going to end. Uh, We're at a critical time uh, in the war, it would appear, uh, particularly with um, the beginning of winter. And so I'm just curious, uh, maybe, Irina, we can start with you, you know, how you think about the next six months or 12 months um, for yourself, for your country, and obviously for your company and, and, and your team.
2: So we, we definitely uh, have our own plans and we are invited to speak in Utah uh, at the largest conference for family innovations. And we are definitely, uh, will, will be there speaking um, and exhibiting. So we have our own plans and uh, our developers are sitting, uh, not just in Ukraine, we have them also in Poland, in Spain and Armenia. Uh, so people keep working. And I'm sure the product will be much better until the time we are in Utah. Um, but what I think about war now, no one is afraid of, uh, new attacks from air. They just don't care. People say, ah, another attack is like fifth or six, but people know that Putin is losing his position in the government. Uh, oligarchs are not happy they lost all the business. And now um, around the world, Russians are not welcome. Russians don't want to be in this position. And now they have a lot of pressure inside the country as well. Now you can see in news that our drones, fighting drones attacking their airports, where their fighter jets are sitting. And uh, suddenly some explosions Although, happened. Arena, I, I
0: hate to interrupt you. I was reading this morning that your um, national defense minister described, uh, when asked if Ukraine was behind those attacks, uh, made a comment about uh, how um, often Russians are um, not very careful when smoking cigarettes, and apparently they're... Uh, uh, throwing their cigarette butts in the wrong places might have had something to do with these explosions of of late.
2: <laughs> yeah, suddenly, suddenly something happened uh, around Russia. Um, so what I think the war will be over this summer. Now uh, the position of Russian army is very tough. Um, our army is attacking. Uh, so first because it's cold, but our army is very well equipped all our people donate millions of dollars to equip them from our own pocket not only our government but also people and our army is on our land so they know the land uh, and russians they are just mobilized they they just probably had some short training and uh for example my husband he is not in army now because he didn't do training before so what uh the officer said, you can volunteer and do something else now because we only need people who served in the army for two years and who's professional in what he's doing. So we are not crazy people who are just sending out people to die. Uh, Unlike Russia, they are just mobilizing a lot of people who are so young and not ready. So once they enter Ukraine, they most likely die. And this is, I, I mean, this is for me, as a woman, it's terrible to hear. But from the other side, these people knew that they are entering another land, intentionally came and so I I'm like, okay, they knew they might die and they are coming. So I think now is the best time uh, to, to attack them. Now is the best time. But until summer something will change. I've heard uh, I've heard that Putin might even die uh, uh, during Easter holidays i don't know I heard some opinions of people um, but the way one way or the other, I know that Putin is losing his positions, and there is no real success in this war. They were attacking five or six directions from belarus uh from eastern Ukraine, but if you see the map right now. They couldn't really capture big cities, none of them. So that means soldiers are losing uh, um, understanding why they're actually fighting and dying, because there is no real result. Then oligarchs are not happy. Uh, Only people over 70, 60 years old who are still missing the Soviet Union, they might support Putin. But young people, they're trying to leave the country. Many of them like not okay with what's happening and i'm sure this will end next year
0: you irena you i can't help but notice um the confidence in your voice
2: i am confident
0: you are confident tell me the source of that confidence if you wouldn't mind
2: first uh i as i said my husband is volunteer and i know the real situation uh on that front uh real situation with donations. And I know a lot of people from my friends who are fighting right now. They have everything. I ask, what do you need? I want to send you money. You need to buy something. They say, we're okay. Everything. uh, And when they're fighting and uh, getting back some land, the Russians are just running away and leaving a lot of um, like machines, like a weapon, everything. They just leave everything. So our army captures that. And we have just more and more weapon, which is good. Um, so I just know real situation because uh, from people who are volunteering and who are fighting. And of course, I'm watching news too, but um, people might say, oh, Rina, you should not trust the news. Um, but, well, I trust our president. I know many people were skeptic about him, that he is from media industry. He is a showman. How could he become a good president? But when I see now how he behaves, he went to Kherson uh, the first day when it was free from Russians and he was standing just on the main square talking to people uh, and the journalist asked him, why you are not afraid that somebody will kill you now? And he's like, you are also here. Why aren't, aren't you afraid? No one is afraid. It's like they're clowns. No one is afraid.
0: His leadership has been absolutely extraordinary. There's no question about it. Like radically inspiring, uh, and that of your leadership. You know, I'm a fight fan, and the the Klitschko brothers are extraordinary. And when I see them on social media, it just it's incredible. So uh, it, it it it's fascinating and fantastic that you feel this way. So you think the war will be over by the summer of twenty three.
2: Yeah, but by summer of 23, um, many um, elderly, so even my parents, they are not abroad. Uh, they want to come back to their gardens, you know, to do something at home. So we have to do it until summer so that people can enjoy the best time of the year in, in Ukraine.
0: Yes, now, for all three of you, is there anything about uh, being an entrepreneur at, at this moment in history, trying to serve you, the, the Ukraine, Ukrainian customers, Ukrainian people, that you want uh, the world to know about that maybe we don't know about?
1: But I think for me, I think the most important thing is okay, this happened. And um, what can we do so that this ha- doesn't happen in the future? what should be the changes in policy or what kind of defense infrastructure we should be building or what kind of measure should be in place so that this doesn't happen. I think like same philosophy we have, once we have a problem we can fix it, but what can we do so that that problem doesn't exist in the first place. And I think in terms of the next step for me is yes we can build sophisticated, Weaponry, but there should be like mechanisms in place which, without the weapons, can make sure that this doesn't exist. And I still don't know what the right answer is, but I think that should be at least the immediate focus.
0: And with your technology, Amar, do you see a day where people's homes are protected by your technology, where local places of worship, uh, local businesses, obviously government? locations critical infrastructure i mean it appears to me as i think about for myself as a category designer i think about your technology and the possible use cases of of categories that this thing opens up and 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 the we have an expression here in the u.s you might know called being a prepper being prepared for the worst and living in california the thing that we most have to prepare for are earthquakes and, and forest fires, massive fires. Yeah. And so most of us who live here, I think if you're smart, you have at least a little bit of prepper in use. You. you know, the, the idea being if the shit hits the fan and it takes FEMA a few weeks or a month to get shit back together. Yeah. Can you feed yourself and your family and can you make sure everybody's okay? And do you have medicine and, and, and so forth. Can you protect yourself and so forth? Yeah. So as you share your technology, I think, well, if I'm, if, if I was living in the Ukraine today, I would love to have your technology at my house. And I sit here in California and go, Hmm, the prepper in me would like to have your technology around my <laughs> house in case shit gets weird around here too.
1: Yes, I think so. We have, we built generic technology first of all, which can identify proactive threats anywhere. And these can be threats on the battlefield and threats in smart cities and threats in cities. We generally focus on situations where there can be a lot of unknown unknowns. So we have built this technology which has been used to recognize people who are potentially are uh, going to abduct children because they're coming again and again, they're casing the schools. Uh, we have recognized people who are trying to reckon, who are trying to abduct children from children parks, uh, people who are trying to rob jewelry stores or bank because all of this is gradual. People need like casing the place, enough information so that they can find what is the right place to hit it. So yes, the possibilities are endless. Uh, but we are trying to just do it for now where it makes the most sense for us. And where, if you don't identify the threat proactively, that's going to have a massive, massive effect. The damage would be enormous. And that's why defense and public safety makes the most sense for us for now. But then we have done projects like, where well, you're trying to recognize defects which come on gun parts. Defects you know, there can be new type of defects. How do you cope with that? Applying this on satellites, where there are weather patterns you know, the new kind of weather patterns which can come up. How do you make sense of that? Then you're trying to see if there is deforestation. There are man-made forests versus natural forest. How do you differentiate between both of them? We've applied it to recognize poachers on the border of India and Nepal, where they're trying to hunt animals. You could do a lot of stuff with that, but it's just that since we are a young, growing company, we've got to recognize where do we get the biggest push and that success will spill over to other verticals.
0: Yes. Fantastic. Incredible. Now, I know all of you are very busy entrepreneurs and you want to go save the world and each other and the Ukraine and and the rest of the world. So I I want to be uh, respectful of your time. Are there anything? Is there anything else that any of you um, would like to touch on before we wrap here?
2: Uh, probably we can say uh, we can leave some uh, sources, official sources, where people can donate like $5, $10 uh, for Ukrainian armed forces and for people who are now suffering from cold. Um, yes, we are strong. Yes, we have food and everything. But uh, yeah, extra like 5 to $10 would be great for our people.
0: Yes. And uh, if you have particular organizations that you would like to recommend, um, send those and we will put all of those in the show notes for people who want to donate. Uh, My wife, Carrie, and I have been donating since the beginning of this uh, horrible situation and um, are always looking at new places to be able to make a difference. Uh, I remember in the very beginning of the war, one of the, and this is a weird word to use, but I'll I'll use it because you will know, of course, how, what, how I mean it. One of the quote-unquote fun things many of us were able to do were to uh, book out a month worth of um, uh, accommodations at Airbnbs. And I remember back at that time, um, the love notes going back and forth over the Airbnb platform Um, It was an extraordinary thing to be able to rent somebody's home. It's an obvious gift. Of course, they know we're not renting their home and and to see what came back from people. So, um, you know, whether it's that or donating to many extraordinary organizations, Uh, we've been long supporters of uh, Medecins Sans Franciers, Doctors Without Borders, and If you look at what many organizations outside of uh, Ukraine are doing in Poland and other areas for refugee, I mean, there's many ways one can make a difference. So uh, by all means, Irina, please uh, give us who you'd like us to point people to, and um, we'll have that in the show notes. And uh, we will encourage folks to crack open their wallets and try to make a difference for um, the people in your country for sure.
2: Yeah. And probably the last one is just to go to our website, check out our business. And maybe if uh, you know someone, some investor, some probably partner.
0: Will you take small investments from uh, American or or otherwise based angel investors? If somebody wants to invest $500 or $1,000 or is that true for all of your businesses? Amar, Dennis, are you open to small investors?
1: Yes, so I just want to say that uh, mainly we take money from institutional investors and that's what we have done in the past. Not for us, but I think it'll make uh, definitely be very valuable for the both of them. But also I just want to mention that I think if you can also drop the link of uh, non-profits which are focused on maybe like figuring out how to bring Ukraine to how it was before the war, uh, more of a long-term plan. I think that is very interesting to me because I want to see how... Uh, so, so like, there's, when I think about it, it's like, okay, what is the plan tomorrow? What is the plan three months from now? What is the plan, like, one year from now? So how do we get back to where we were? So people pro- uh, potentially who are involved in strategy or policy design, I think that would be very, very interesting. I would love to see how we can help so that again it doesn't happen again
0: but yeah yes and i think many of us who live in the entrepreneurial world um and understand the power of entrepreneurs to change the future and create a different future um you know i I myself look at it and go what could we do uh those of us in the uh, startup ecosystem in the united states what else could we do to to help other entrepreneurs in and around Ukraine who are trying to make a difference. And so is the simple answer, invest in businesses in the Ukraine, invest in entrepreneurs who are trying to help? Is that the simple answer or is there is there more to it?
3: Just work with Ukraine, you know, explore Ukraine, you'll, whatever opportunities uh, you're interested in.
2: Yeah, I just wanted to mention that my internet connection during war in Ukraine is much better than you guys have in New York. So it's also a good... Point for investors to understand that we actually can work and can code here in Ukraine.
0: <laughs> it is quite hysterical, isn't it, Irina? That these two gentlemen are in New York, you are in Kiev, and your internet connection is. Tr- are you? Um, what is your internet connection, by chance? Do you know? Are you on Starlink by any chance? It's
2: just a simple God. Wi-Fi connection to generator
0: through and a local and a local uh, ISP and local, local internet provider. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, God bless Ukraine and, and maybe we should focus on our infrastructure here, gentlemen, in the yeah. United States. <laughs> all right, is is there is there anything else um from um any of you that you'd like to touch on? Oh,
3: really appreciate your time and uh you know attention to Ukraine. This is very important.
0: Well it breaks it breaks my heart. It it breaks all of our hearts here. Um we want to see an end to this war. We want peace. Um My grandfather fought in World War II, and I can remember being a little boy. I was fascinated um, by his history and by the war. And I can remember being about five years old and asking him, hey, you know, granddad, um, why did you fight in the war? And he said to me, and I remember it like it was yesterday. um, He said, I fought in the war in hopes that you would never have to experience war. And I think it is just so shocking for many of us to think there's war in Europe at this point in history. I mean, how the fuck can that be true? And so um, I just want to thank all of you. You have incredible startups, fascinating startups, huge category potential that you would have had uh, without a war. And obviously this war uh, creates a more urgent situation for all of your businesses and uh, I just find what you're doing deeply, deeply inspiring. And I thank you so much, not just for being here with me today, but for what you do day in and day out. Um, I think the three of you and other entrepreneurs working in and around Ukraine will make an incalculable difference. And, um, and bless you for that. Thank you so much.
2: Thank you for your time.
0: Thanks, Christopher. Thank you. Well, there they are. Denis Gurak, whose company, Adam is pioneering the 3D bioprinting space. And um, you can find that company, Adam's company, at adambioprinting.com. That's adambioprinting.com. Irina Savistra is the CEO and co-founder of Bank of Memories. And you can find Bank of Memories at bankofmemories.org. And Dr. Amar Singh, is the founder and CEO of Skylark Labs. And you can find them at skylarklabs.ai. Also, they have submitted to us a list of nonprofits who are making a difference in the Ukraine. And if you feel like cracking open your wallet to make a difference, go and check out the show notes for this episode. And certainly, by all means, go make a difference to some other NGO that you like who's making a difference in the Ukraine. All right, we would like to thank you. Thank you so much for your time and attention. It means the world to all of us here. My friends at one life fully live.org are the nonprofit helping you dream plan and live your best life. Check out number 1 org. If you need help scaling you, my friends at bottleneck.online are what you need. Check out bottleneck.online, they're the leading dedicated distant assistants. Imagine an assistant who's awesome, who's technology enabled, but a real person who help scale you and will never get near you. <laughs> bottleneck.online. My friends at Autranet have been building legendary B2B websites in Silicon Valley for over 20 years. If you're a B2B company and you're ready for a rapid relaunch of your website, check out atre.net. My friends at Clary want to remind you that in good times or bad, every drop of revenue matters. And Clary's approach to revenue collaboration and governance means that every revenue critical person in your company can start working together, collaborating and governing the entire enterprise revenue process. Check out clari.com that's clari.com and uh, my friends at Shakeology are the world's greatest dessert, superfood shake. It's incredible. Imagine having dessert but it's awesome for you. Check out Shakeology.com today. And with my Shakeology, I love Malibu milk, spelt with a Y. Whole plant, flax milk, the first milk company ever created by a mom. Check out Malibu milk with a Y.com. All right, I need to remind you that today's information is provided to you solely for informational purposes. And this oddcast is the sole property of the Lockhead Oddcast Network. It contains content known to the state of California to cause radically different thinking. All rights do remain perturbed produced and edited by the goat Jason filippo Sarah Knox and Jamie J do our legendary technical execution and they build lockhead.com show notes by GM Simon the Bobus Brothers ex and RJ do our web development and Cedric biros does our graphic and web design all uh, oddcasts are recorded in Dolby ADHD technology our law firm is weed and Jack and our accountants are three balance sheets to the wind and don't forget, Hey, I don't know why this is hard for people in the United States. The left lane is the passing lane. Please, I love you, but get the fuck out of the passing lane. Some of us are going somewhere. Dolly Parton was right. Listen to Katie Lang. And the legendary Peter Drucker reminds us the best way to predict the future is to create it. Thank you, Candy Dandy. She keeps all the trains running on time around here. Couldn't do it without her. Love you, Mom and Dad. And hey, Colin, this podcast really ties the room together, doesn't it? Today, our apologies go to Vladimir Putin. Sorry, Vlad, we just ran out of time for you. That's it, my friends. Please stay safe, stay legendary, and until we're together again, follow your different.